Hey, this is your host Shane. Welcome to Radical Rocks. Today we've got a special edition for you on a mysterious desert galleon that holds untold millions in lost treasure. On the first part of the journey, I was looking at Radical Rocks. There were fossils, minerals, and rocks and things. There were sand, hills, and rings. The first thing I found was a geocrystal. Quartz with no clouds. Agate was hot and the ground was hard. But the gems were there to be found. See, I've been through the desert, found a rock with no name. Felt good to have in my hand. In the desert... You can find lots of rocks, cause radical rocks are everywhere. That's right, radical rocks are everywhere. And today, we have a very exciting special edition. Our special editions are basically one topic and in-depth detail. We've only done a couple of them. Uh, Officially, we've only done one. But this time... It's going to be about a mysterious galleon that was lost in the desert of all places, and I will explain. But first, I want to thank you guys for liking, subscribing, joining our different social media on different uh, platforms. MeWe, we're really big on MeWe. Of course, we have our YouTube videos. We have um, other platforms, uh, Truth, Truth Social, um, Parlor, a little bit, not so much. And uh, Locals, Gitter. We've got a few videos on um, Rumble, not too many there, but uh, most of them are on YouTube. So you can check those out and you can join in, even Facebook. Just look up Radical Rocks on your favorite social media and uh, we might be there. We might be there. So let's get into today's exciting episode. Um, this is a special edition, so it's just going to be on one topic, and I just thought it would be fun to go in depth and talk about a treasure, a treasure story, an undiscovered, untold millions of dollars worth of pearls in the deserts of the San Diego County in California, Southern California's rugged Imperial Valley. There is a story about a Spanish galleon that lies somewhere amid these sand dunes. This vessel was loaded with pearls, according to stories, and people have been searching for this for more than three centuries. The claims are that it has been found a few times, but then lost when the shifting desert sands seemingly covered it. And um, probably wasn't completely uncovered, but I have even seen a picture of a mass sticking out of the sand from the early 1900s. So this so-called ship in the desert is still there waiting for maybe you to be rock hounding out there and maybe bump into it. So why is a galleon in the desert? That's the question. It's more than 200 miles away from the Gulf of California. What the heck is going on here? This is really interesting, guys. Well, there's bleached bones. 
they say, of a ship and uncertain reports over the years, coupled with old Spanish documents that suggest it's somewhere south of Salton Sea, east of Anza Borrego Desert State Park, and north of the treacherous Superstition Hills, which flank the Mexican border, southwest of El Centro. Unlikely as it may seem, the superstitions are spotted with quicksand, which provides a natural trap for unwary searchers. So you want to be careful out there. The Salton Sea itself is a huge body of water, about 30 miles long, more than 20 miles wide. And there is a lot of desert there, a lot of sand. It lies about 200 feet below sea level. Apparently, according to a book I read called The Ancient History of California, this was once part of the Gulf of California, and it was actually uh, sea. You could it connected to the ocean at that time. Some very interesting stories here. So what happened? This ship uh, came into being lost in the sands, and the story um, became known about 1905 uh, when the Colorado River used to overflow and cover the Imperial Valley. The Desert Depression was mentioned by a professor who was a government geologist. His name was W.P. Blake, and he said, and he noted it in 1853. He said this was a basin for the overflow. For a number of years, the level dropped because of evaporation, and great parts of the Imperial Valley are now under cultivation. The depths uh, seem to have more or less stabilized from runoff and irrigation ditches. Some feel earthquakes could have lifted the inlet that opened this area up to the ocean. I believe that. Cane Springs to the east of Salton Sea is the oldest known watering hole in this California desert and long was a campground for desert prospectors as well as passing bands of Indians. A look at a map is going to show that this area is a resting place for a Spanish vessel. If you look at some of the old stories about this uh, lost galleon, and that would put it right like we said, south of Cain, uh, kind of uh, northwest of the Superstition Hills, or maybe just north, and definitely um, northwest of El Centro. And the Anza Borrego Desert State Park would uh, go head north and south. So this area would be to the uh, east of the Anza Borrego Desert State Park if you were looking at the map. Okay. And that would be some probably 50 miles or so north of the border, maybe a little further. So there's a lot of legend. There's a lot of stories, so I'm going to put together um, some of these to give you some of the history. As far as what can be told, what can be determined, a series of events happened in 1610 when the Spanish captain Alvarez de Cordon received a royal commission from King Philip III of Spain to search Mexican waters for the pearls for the crown. 
and to make explorations of coastal waters. Cordon was directed to build three vessels and to record, to recruit rather two more sea captains, and the captains were chosen, Pedro de Rosel and Juan de Etribu. At that time, Acapulco was the chief seaport on the Mexican Pacific coast, and it was here that the three galleons were built. Meanwhile, Cordon arranged for some 150 or so African slaves. These slaves were all experienced pearl divers. They were assigned to these three different vessels. According to the record, they were young boys to older men, even up as old as their 70s, and they were qualified for this type of work. The technique used by the divers was dangerous and crude at best. They usually worked in pairs. They would take a line down with them, rope, tied to a huge stone weighing up to 50 pounds, and they would tie that rope to the stone and the other end to an arm or leg, and they would slip it into the water, just dump it into the water, and the stone would carry them down to the bottom. The line returning to the surface was used to signal the assistant to recover the diver. They would just pull him back up. The diver could remain there for as much as a minute and a half before he would signal to be pulled up. These divers, of course, had nets with them to put live oysters in that they would collect from the bottom of these waters. And when they were brought up, of course, they brought that bag full of oysters. They found that the diver could make an average of 30 trips a day to the bottom and gather about a dozen oysters each time. So with half of the 150 divers performing, that meant that nearly 27,000 shells a day could be brought up from the oyster bed. Now, oysters don't all have pearls in them. Um, you gotta, you got to shell a lot of oysters just to get one. But apparently, the odds were good enough that they would find these valuable pearls. It is well known that the waters off of Mexico's Pacific coast were very much pearl-laden, where these pearl-laden mollusks would thrive. They had the black varieties of pearl, which are very sought after. Other colors, um, bronze, rose, yellow, blue, and even purple pearls could be found. So the expedition sailed from Acapulco about July 1612 and started looking for the pearls. They, wherever, they, wherever they could find an oyster bed, that's where they would go, diving down. Along the shores, the Spaniards spotted bands of Indians. Some of them were even diving for oysters. Captain Cordon could see that many sections of the beach were littered with oyster shells, so he knew that this was a place to go. Um, the Indians would strip them of their meat, and uh, sometimes you could find pearls that were laying around, so they would put an anchor down, and if the Indians, or Native Americans as we call them today, were friendly, they would inspect, but uh, they wanted to know where the, where the pearls were. So they kind of started interrogating them. Then they found several of these, uh, some of these Native Americans said, hey, 
Look at what we got here. Reeve woven baskets filled with fine pearls. It was amazing. The Spanish captain managed to explain to the chief that he wanted the pearls and they would trade different things for them, food, clothing, and whatnot. So biscuits, uh, tins of biscuits and clothing was traded and then uh, they would bring these pearls and uh, they were able to fill the ship up with many, many, many pearls. But sometimes the Indians were not too happy and would shoot them uh, with arrows. In fact, one time it said that the captain gave them some rags and garbage clothes. So the Native Americans started shooting them with arrows and Cardone was caught in the chest by an arrow and nearly fell over before he collapsed. The expedition surgeon diagnosed, uh, diagnosed the captain and the wound ended up being pretty serious. So the galleon was ordered back to Acapulco and the wounded, with the wounded captain aboard. And the vessels, the other vessels commanded by Ear Tribute and Rosales continued in search of pearls. So they were getting more and more pearls all the time. I guess they were, maybe the pearls were transported to these other ships. And um, they started looking at their maps. And they found that they were actually entering the Gulf of California up into the Salton Sea that we talked about. There was a landmark known as Isla Angel de la Guardia. Captain Rossell's ship struck an underwater reef which tore a gaping hole in the, in the hull. The ship was sinking and the, as it was sinking, the pearls and the divers were hurriedly transferred to the other remaining ship, commanded by E. Iturbidu. The two sea captains um, had all this wealth combined. So they had all the combined wealth on the ship. They had just finished working on the, uh, the ship that was com commanded by E. Turbu. They had just finished working a huge oyster bed near what is now called La Paz. It yielded the largest, most valuable pearls yet taken. And it stood to reason that even better pearls might be to the north. So that's why they went to the north. The last remaining boat of the of this journey went into the mouth of what is now called the Colorado River. Um, he decided to explore the, the waterway for a few days and it opened up into this huge area, right? This huge area. He sailed northward along the stream, finally came into a great inland sea, which was the Salton Sea, the ancient Salton Sea of the 1600s, much larger than today. Much larger. Iturbu sailed northward until the waters were too shallow for safety, dispatched Captain Rossells ashore in a small boat to investigate the terrain. Two days later, the captain returned to declare there was nothing but sand and dried lake beds, sparse vegetation, and they decided... Um, they should probably um, 
do something else. Well, they weren't paying attention, but the level of the water was falling. There's also the story that I heard in the book, uh, California's Ancient History, and I forget who the author was, I don't even have the book anymore, that there was a large earthquake that disrupted the area's entire topography and could have caused uh, an uplifting that uh, made it where they could not get out. So they started to sail southward when they noticed this water was shallow and they got stuck. There was no way out. The, the narrow neck of fresh water was gone. Panic didn't kick in immediately. The captain sailed the ship around the edges of the enclosed sea while the water level continued to drop Finally, the vessel ran aground in the shallows. Before measures could be taken to float her again, water had dropped to the point that the vessel was sitting fully exposed in a sandy muck, the surface steaming as it began to dry. There's a lot of different stories about what happened after that. One report that I tribute was able to make it to the Gulf of California with a few of those people who survived the desert. <clears throat> Excuse me. Others say that he died along the route, but uh, they figured that they failed to take all the pearls. They could have only took water and food. Being that they were in the desert, they needed to survive. Being that the other captain had investigated and knew that it was a wasteland, they would have taken more water and food and not taken very many pearls with them at all. So, another story says he took some of these and buried them in nearby sand and had some of the workers dig them into the sand. All right? So, one of the other things that happened about 1890... We don't know what happened to that sea captain, what happened to him in the long run, but in about 1890, an old prospector led his burrow into the oasis of Cane Springs where he said he found a ship in the desert. He said it was half buried in the sand. He asked volunteers to dig out the treasure, agreeing to share the pearls. Suddenly, he was surrounded by help but when they went back to the desert, the old man was unable to locate the exact spot. As early as 1870, there had been searches for the old sailing vessel, and several accounts were reported to the West Coast newspapers. The Sacramento Union edition of October 6, 1870 reported an advanced party of four from San Bernardino had left to visit the famous wrecked ship in the California desert. The ship, which must have lain a wreck for over 250 years, is built of teakwood and perfectly sound. The bow and stern are plainly visible and she is 240 miles from the Gulf of California. Exactly one week later, the same magazine, the same newspaper, reported the ship-hunting party in the California desert has returned to San Bernardino. Then, in the edition of November 16, 1817, the Union stated, Another search is being made for the fossil ship, 
in the California desert by the men who went for it before but did not find the prize. The Inyo Independent stated on September 27, 1873, the ship in the desert story therefore has been attributed to a writer's lively imagination and verified by James Expedition Explorers in the California desert over 200 miles from the Gulf Coast. They found the mass of a vessel. So he was saying that, basically saying that it was a thought to be folklore, but now this, uh, this gentleman in the James Expedition has verified there's a vessel there. And like I was telling you, I saw a picture, uh, ancient picture of it, and I thought it was from the early 1900s. The article had appeared earlier in the San Bernardino paper saying that the search for the ship by the party led by Charlie Charlie Klusker, the writer of this particular account, had embellished it with an item of his own, and he said, it was less than a year ago, while on a periodic tour of California desert, I had the good fortune to make camp with an old habit of wasteland. Inevitably, the conversation turned to the subject of lost mines, buried treasure, and finally to the desert ship. I think I know where the old Hulk lies, he said in a conf confident tone. Would you betray a vital secret if you told me, I asked. Maybe not. You know the southeast corner of this country is covered with sand and hills. Every time a big wind hits them, they move, sometimes a foot or two, sometimes a lot more. I got it figured out that those dunes have covered up the old ship. They keep on moving, and of course, someday the old pocket will be uncovered, and the man who finds it will make the biggest strike in history, and don't you forget it. If one hangs around the bar rooms of Brawley, California, sooner or later, you're going to hear another account of discovery. This one seems to involve the account of a young Native American who staggered into town more dead than alive about 1920. He was dying of thirst and losing his mind. He'd returned to attempt to find the vessel again, but was unsuccessful. Thought he would find it. Swore he saw it. Ultimately, he committed suicide. This account could be made up, and uh, no records of it exist except word of mouth. Or you can look in Treasure Hunter's Digest by Jack Lewis and read of that account. In 1870, there was an article in the New York Galaxy where Albert S. Evans claims to have seen the old ship in 1860 south to the road leading from San Bernardino. He said southward to the very horizon stretched a great plain of snowy salt and white ghost of Dead Sea, which once covered all this accursed land but has passed forever. Across the white plain, as across the waters of a placid lake, the moon threw a track of shimmering light so bright almost to dazzle the eye of the beholder. Right in this burning pathway of light, far out in the center of the ghostly sea, where foot of man has never trod, lay what appeared in the distance to be the wreck of a galleon ship, which might have gone down there centuries ago when the bold Spanish adventurers bearing the cross and sword in either hand were pushing their way northwest 
in search of the fountain of youth, the famed kingdom of Chibola. So, in writing about his vision of the ship, Evans made no mention of the treasure. He supposedly boarded her, but uh, did not see any wealth there within his grasp. So, it's hard to tell which ones of these stories are true or not. I do believe the ship was there. Definitely pearls were collected from these areas. And there is a lot of uh, ancient history that suggests this area was open to the sea. Perhaps the ship is below areas that are now being farmed. Perhaps it is in the dunes. Perhaps someday it will be exposed again. And maybe you will be the lucky one to find millions of dollars of pearls. So that concludes our special edition today. I hope you guys have a great week. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, remember, rock hounds don't die, they petrify.